When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In 1977, director George Lucas changed the face of the film industry forever by bringing us a sci-fi classic that we will never forget. In 2019, Beam Suntory gives us a high rye whiskey that they call the granddaddy of bourbon. The movie is Star Wars. The whiskey is Old Granddad. And we'll review them both. This is the The Film Film and Whiskey Podcast. Podcast. Welcome to the Film and Whiskey Podcast, where each week we review a classic movie and a glass of whiskey. I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. This week we are looking at the 1977 film, Star Wars. We are not looking at episode Episode 4, A New Hope. Forget that, George Lucas. Your movie was called Star Wars. And it's still called Star Wars. We're talking about it's called Star Wars. (laughs) You sound like like Family Guy Peter. (laughs) The Star Wars. It's called Star Wars. (laughs) I'm John Wayne. (laughs) Well, hey there, Pilgrim. (laughs) So what were you going to say? This is my wheelhouse. Like, we've watched a lot of movies. I've seen probably 15 to 20% of them before I watch them for the podcast. Mm -hmm. We're we're in my country now. We are. We are. Bubba. We're talking about Star Wars, and I will, I'll out myself here. I did not grow up in a house where Star Wars was like a big thing. You know, my, my parents obviously saw Star Wars. It was the highest grossing film of all time for a while. They liked Star Wars. They were on board, you know, but I didn't grow up this obsessive Star Wars fan like some people did. The, the same could be said for me. My like my parents, one of their first dates was actually going to see Star Wars uh-huh. in theaters. Sure. Um, so I my parents liked Star Wars, but I, in general, I wouldn't call my parents fanboys. They, they don't. They're not crazy about certain things. Like, I have certain friends whose parents are obsessed with Star Wars. Right. You know, that, like, truly defined a generation of moviegoers. And, and and I'm not saying that in a bad way, whether you were a fanboy or not of it. I'm just saying that I didn't grow up in a house that was obsessed with Star Wars, like you just said. Yeah, sure. But there's something about Star Wars to me that, especially the original trilogy and especially the original film... The only word that can describe it is magical. Hmm. There is something so beautiful about these movies that there is a reason they have stood not only stood the test of time, but still could be considered some of the most popular movies of all time. Sure. And so I I look back on these films and I man, I am so excited to get into Star Wars because this truly is up at the top of my favorite films of all time. This one, too. This specific one. This specific one. Yeah. I'll say this about Star Wars, like it, it's, I can never put myself back in 77, right? I wasn't born then. Yeah. I know enough about film history to know the way that this changed film history, to know enough about how it changed the course of sci-fi history. Um, 
you would not have the Avengers without, if you didn't absolutely, have Star Wars. Absolutely. And I get that. So I, I have to evaluate it somewhat objectively, right? Like, and, and the thing that I'm noticing when I watch, especially this first Star Wars film, is that when George Lucas is both writer and director, I think the movies suffer for it. Yeah. And I think we can both agree that we think the best Star Wars film is The Empire Strikes Back. And yeah. that's pretty universally accepted now. Yeah, Kirshner was brilliant with Empire Strikes Back. What they had to do with Empire is fill in all of the gaps that New Hope, you know, or Star Wars introduced. And when I watch back Star Wars, having seen eight, you know, seven other main ones, main ones, and then two like periphery ones. Right. There's been so much development of mythology over the years. You know, and you and I were even talking off air about TIE fighters. Yeah. Like, this movie has TIE fighters in it, and they don't talk about what a TIE fighter is. Like, right. these are things that, like, fans went off and created myth mythologies about, and then Lucas decided to develop them 20 years later. And I feel like we read what we know now about Star Wars back into the original. And the fact is, the original film, the script has, like, just some glaringly huge plot holes and and flaws in character development and we don't know very much about any of these characters even at the end of the movie but mm, uh, hmm. I'm, so so here's what i'm already do. angry i'm gonna ring i'm gonna ring the uh the the bell and we can get into our first boxing match here's what we're gonna do today we usually go through a list of categories we talk about acting we talk about direction right we're not gonna do any of that what can we talk about with star wars that hasn't been talked about already everyone knows what star wars is instead I'm coming at it from the perspective of a guy who likes this movie, but doesn't think it's perfect, versus Brad, who worships at the altar of Star Wars. See, there's so many preconceived notions about who you are. The moment that I say I don't like the Disney Star Wars, people will put me into a box. Sure, like, sure, sure. Oh, he's just the old guy. That well, so here's it. what I want to do. Here's what's off limits. Okay. We cannot dip into prequels, sequels. Or any other Star Wars mythology when talking about this. We have to take this movie on its... If this, if we were reviewing it the day after it came out in right. 77, this is what all we have to talk about. Yeah. But here's... What, like, that's what I'm saying. We can't... We can't use other movies to make this movie better. Okay. Well, let's get into the fact that you are so wrong about the plot holes and character development. A, because you don't need it. You This movie is so well streamlined that you get exactly what you need to move the story forward, to draw you into who the characters are, and to push you towards the final conclusion of the movie. All right, here, here's, here's what I want to do. Let's go, let's go through it from the beginning, okay. right? This movie opens up with a small vessel getting chased by a big, what they call a Star Destroyer, right? <laughs> a small vessel being chased by a big vessel. <laughs> a large vessel. <laughs> and and you get this awesome shot, perspective shot of like, oh, this spaceship went by and that's a big spaceship. And then the one Vader's on comes creeping in. You're like, oh my gosh. That is huge. First glaringly obvious flaw. You learn how bad the Empire is at shooting right off the bat. I mean, how can they not shoot down this ship with Princess Leia in it? They do though. They don't. They cap. They swallow it up into their ship. That was the whole. But they were shooting lasers at it, and yeah, they missed. And they, no, they didn't. They missed literally, the whole thing. Literally in the opening scene, you see C three PO and R two D two walking down the hallway. Oh, that's right. And, and they're they getting get rocked, rocked yeah, back yeah, and okay, okay. because they're not missing. That's fair. Okay, fair point. Know your movie, Bob. One, one point, Brad. I don't care enough. <laughs> is the thing, Brad. I don't care. All right, so. 3PO and R2-D2 are the first characters we really meet in this movie. Yes. Which, in my opinion, my expert opinion, Brad, 
is a is a flaw to begin with because 3PO and R2D2 are not just listen, I don't dislike them, but they're not human characters. And not only are they the first characters we meet, essentially they're the only characters we spend the first 25 minutes. I mean, we see Vader, we see Princess Leia come in and be kind of sassy for a second and then get booted out, right? She gets put in detention. All right, so your point is Hold on, I, I need to finish. Okay. I just think it's a flaw to have two droids, robots, be the first characters you meet. And then, because R2-D2 doesn't actually use real dialogue, you, everything's interpreted through C-3PO. And I like C-3PO, okay? And, like, we're not going to pull in characters from other movies, but, like, he's not a Jar Jar. He's not that annoying. But after 25 minutes in a row where it's just 3PO complaining about stuff, I was ready to get the show on the road. After they crash land and they have to go try to find Obi-Wan, like, I was so ready, so ready to get other human characters introduced into this movie. Everything you just said is wrong. Why? Because one of the most beautiful parts about the movie is that it can help you and make you fall in love with people who with characters who are not humans, and what better way to do that than to start with two robots, one of whom doesn't even speak English. Literally the way that R2D2 communicates is one of the most endearing characters ever created in movies fun fact we were watching this movie the other night my wife and i and we put the subtitles on i always watch stuff with subtitles just so i don't miss anything and they they subtitle all of r2d2's dialogue <laughs> but not like by translating it like it literally just says blip bleep bloop <laughs> <laughs> blip bleep bloop 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 so you think i'm wrong i think you're 100 wrong because up until this point Think about all the sci-fi movies you've ever seen. Yeah. And it's impossible to ever care about truly the alien characters in the movie. And, and obviously they are robots and droids and mechanical, but I would consider them an alien character for the fact that they're not human. And this movie starts by challenging those presuppositions and giving you characters to fall in love with because they are endearing, they're funny, they have plights that you want to see them get out of. Everything about them works incredibly well to draw you into the plot of the movie that you don't need humans to do. I think that Lucas is really hedging his bets on the reveal of who Obi-Wan is and who Princess Leia is. And that revelation doesn't come until like 45, 50 minutes into the movie when we found we found out who Luke is. And, you know, we've seen him with his uncle Owen. They uh, I'll get to that in a minute. But <laughs> Luke is now with Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan Kenobi is, you know, Princess Leia records this distress signal into R2-D2 that they have to go find Obi-Wan. They finally find him. We don't know anything about Obi-Wan, right? We don't know anything. We don't even really know anything about Vader. We know Vader's a bad guy because he's dressed in black and he has a funny voice, right? Yeah. Princess Leia, we kind of know who she is because they call her a princess and she starts talking about the Senate. But we don't know anything. We don't have enough information to go on for 45 whole minutes. And I feel like as soon as that info comes out and the real story emerges and, you know, uh, Luke tries to go back to his Uncle Owen and we find out what happened to him. As soon as they get off that rock and they start heading for space and they go to Mos Eisley, like mm -hmm. the movie starts. And once it takes off, it's a good movie. But it takes so freaking long for this movie to get going, Brad. If you haven't drank water for, you know, 24 hours, are you going to be desperate for more? Yes. What? What are you trying? 
What you are you saying? You don't need an overload of information to like a movie. The entire purpose of not having a ton of information at the start is so that as every little detail comes out, you're grabbing onto it and you're trying to put this puzzle together of what's going on. By not giving you all of the information and laying it out to you as if we're children who need it laid out. Don't it, be that guy. It offers Don't you be that the, guy. It offers you the opportunity to build the picture on your own, and it makes you grab onto every layer of, layer of information that you get. Yes, I understand that, Brad. But what I'm saying is... But you literally just said you don't like that. I don't like it. Why because, not? Because it takes too long. I'm not saying that I needed Lucas to dump the whole story in the first scene. What I'm saying is he could have trimmed that 45 minutes, and especially the 25 minutes of them wandering around the desert together... If you had taken five, ten minutes out of that whole thing and even gotten me to Luke quicker, because we find this farm boy, essentially Luke, living with his uncle Owen and his aunt Baru. Baru. Thank you. Once we get to Luke, we know who our hero is going to be. He's this boyish, you know, he's a kid with ambition, but he wants to get off this rock. Charm. Absolutely. Get me to Luke ten minutes quicker and it's a better movie. I don't think it takes that long to get to Luke. I'm telling you, man, it's at least 25 minutes into the movie. And that's not that long of a time. I don't, I don't know. With no human character to, to latch myself onto and no character who's giving me information about why I should care, it's hard to buy in at the beginning for me. Oh, man. when you For me, Leia does that at the start. But we, you don't know who she is. You don't need to know who she is. How do we know that she is? How in, do we need to know? How do we know that she's even the good guy? How do we know that we're supposed to be rooting for her? Oh, you you very obviously. Well, they tell you because she's wearing white and he's wearing black. Right? right. He's the bad guy. Yeah. But like, why should I care? Because she is a princess who is in play. You just like her because she's see- pretty and you no. know it. The, and that's the thing about Leia is that especially in a time in the time that the 1970s and 60s and leading up to that era was she is a fighter princess. Oh, I love She's Le- a warrior. We will get into this. Leia, Leia gets the short, sh- like the short shrift in this movie. Yeah. They need to have more Leia and they underdevelop her character and it bothers me. She's so much better in Empire. We're not even going to talk about because we're saying no sequels. But what I'm saying is <laughs> this movie takes so long to get going, Brad, that when we finally get introduced to the main characters of the movie, you know, aside from Luke and Obi-Wan, when Leia finally comes into the picture, the movie's like two thirds of the way done and you never get... There's never a break in the action after Leia comes in, which is good from a storytelling standpoint, but it leaves Leia never getting developed. You'd never really learn anything about Leia in this movie. You don't. I mean, you know, she's been taken prisoner, but you know, you know enough to care about her. I'm not saying I don't care. I loved Leia. Yeah. What I'm saying is she needed more development. She did. I mean, at the end of the movie where she's giving them their medals, like it's the first time you see her acting as princess, really. But like. We haven't seen her do anything except run away from laser beams the whole movie. See, so like she ne- they gave they gave Luke his great scene of looking at the, the twin moons or twin suns or whatever it is. They give Han his great scene in Mos Eisley with, uh, you know, Han shot first. All of these <laughs> characters are set up except right. Leia. And that bothers me because Leia might be the best character in the whole thing. I don't know if I agree with that at all. I think you get the information you need to understand why she does the things that she does. But they don't take a break from the action to like develop. What I'm saying is like, you remember like when Luke and Han and they all break onto the Death Star for the first time and they're kind of like sitting around the control room and Han has his thing about like, well, I'm not sticking my neck out for anybody kind of a thing. It's a break from the action where Han gets dialogue that tells you who Han is. Leia doesn't get that. Like Leia serves the plot. 
and doesn't she's not a fully fleshed out human being. Mm. You know I'm right on this. Give me the give me one point. Come on. I will concede zero points. <sighs> the plans you refer to will soon be back in our hands. Any attack made by the rebels against this station would be a useless gesture, no matter what technical data they've obtained. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. The ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the Force. Don't try to frighten us with your sorcerer's ways, Lord Vader. Your sad devotion to that ancient religion has not helped you conjure up the stolen data tapes, or given you clairvoyance enough to find the rebels' hidden fort. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Enough of this. Vader, release him. As you wish. <sighs> You, you've got me combative. We're jumping all over the place. So, yes. okay. So, 25 minutes wandering around the desert is awful. Right. We meet Luke. Luke's living with Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. Right. Uh, he, they, they happen to buy these droids right. with a distress signal. And they're talking about Ben Kenobi. And he's, oh, I wonder if that's old Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then we get Sir Alec Guinness coming in the film. Other way around. I wonder if that's old Ben Kenobi. That's what I said, isn't it? No, you. Oh, vice versa. All right. Yeah. So then we get Alec Guinness coming in the movie as Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I love Alec Guinness in this movie because he's halfway invested and he's halfway like this movie's going to suck. Oh, and I need a paycheck. Yeah. One hundred percent. But it works. For my, my favorite. My favorite character in the whole movie is Alec Guinness's hair, <laughs> which is always in a state of disarray. He's like running around and it's all over the place. Can I tell you if I had to pick one thing I hate most about this movie? OK. The sand people. Really? Yeah, because they like they don't serve any purpose to the movie. Like it's just kind of an extra scene that we don't need of like R two D two getting in danger, and then you will be one like stumbling in, yeah. going woo, <laughs> scaring them off. Yeah. It's just like it was another thing that slowed down the development hmm. of the movie to me. That's interesting. I like even if we had had. Obi-Wan and Luke saying, yeah, there's lots of sand people out there. They're dangerous. And never seeing them, we would still know it's dangerous. We didn't have to have a five-minute sequence of them, you know, getting beaten up by these sand people. I could give you that. You know? But then you wouldn't get the most one of the most famous, like... <laughs> it's so bad. The first, without that, you don't have a movie. The first 25 <laughs> minutes of this movie. This is, this is the note I took. The first 25 minutes are laughably bad. That's what I wrote. Oh. And again, the rest of the movie is very good. But it's like, it gets off to a rocky start. Now, here's here's a question for you. Yeah. This is a genuine question. Would you include the opening crawl and musical theme in that first 25 minutes? Well, I mean, they're actually in the tw first 25 minutes. That's, so sure. But that's what I'm saying. Because to me, that is one of the best opening scenes of any movie you talked about how george lucas doesn't want to treat us like children but the opening crawl of that movie is literally like a children's it book. sets the stage it sets the stage but it sets the stage in like a really like pandering the evil galactic empire led by the evil darth vader goes and see like <laughs> is trying to get the plants from the good princess leia it's it's so bad the opening crawl is bad john williams can never be bad Okay. I will never say the theme music is bad. If you literally, if you said a bad word about John Williams, oh, absolutely the not. podcast would be over. <laughs> like, period, I would out. quit, walk out. 
John Williams is a true gem. He's a national treasure. He is a he national He is what treasure. Nicolas Cage was hunting for. Yeah. He... <laughs> so, yeah, I would say the first 25 minutes are, are brilliant. super bad. And I want to hear your rebuttal. I've already said my rebuttal. Oh, cool. The first 25 minutes are essential to the movie because it sets up what they're fighting against. The power of the Empire with the overwhelming, the the ship as it comes. You, you think the first ship is really big and then you see the other one. You see the overwhelming power of Darth Vader in, in his tenacity and the way that he will do whatever it takes to get what he wants. You see the innovation of the droids and how they are going to go about succeeding in their plans no matter what. You meet Luke, uh, and you're talking about before you meet Luke, or up to the point where they meet Obi Wan. Up to the point, the yeah, up to the point where they they introduce Luke, pretty much. Okay, I would even include that first scene with like Uncle Owen, where they're eating lunch and drinking milk and stuff. That part's kind of awkward. It is. It's kind of like, all right, we got. Blue, they're bad actors. Blue milk now. <laughs> Uncle Owen's bad. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with you there. And Aunt Baru, Baru, where she's like awkwardly smiling when they're yeah. talking about how like. He's just like his dad. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I. Yeah. And and here's the thing. If you haven't picked up on it already, I'm a Star Wars fanboy. I absolutely love the Star Wars universe. And that doesn't mean that I don't recognize that there's certain parts of the movie that, that aren't great. Right. And Peru and Uncle Owen, I think they're important to the movie, but it wasn't great acting. Yeah. And, and probably not even great writing. But they're still important and a part of the movie lore and history. And I love them. Right. For that. Okay. So moving on in the plot of this movie. Okay. Obi-Wan comes in and does his old guy thing. Yeah. They He's find the, out the, that. The kite dragon and all that. They, yeah. yeah. They find out that Princess Leia is is in distress on Help the Death me, Star. Kenobi. You're my only hope. They have to go rescue her. Right. Right. And Luke Skywalker is like, hey, I'm ready to get off this planet. Uh, let me Let you. me come with you. Obi-Wan says, no. Go home and be a farm boy. And then he realizes, oh, no, Darth Vader's henchmen, the stormtroopers, are going to be looking for these droids that I bought. I should get home and protect my family. And then he gets home and his family is just straight dead. Yeah. Which is emotionally affecting, except for the fact that, like, I was kind of surprised at how ruthless George Lucas. (laughs) You just see, like, these smoldering corpses. Of poor Uncle Owen. Not even and corpses. It's, it's just skeletons. It's just, and it's like a close-up of yeah. like their, their, their scalding hot flesh ripping yeah. off their skeleton. It's bad, dude. Like, <laughs> like, dang, George, you don't have to show all that. <laughs> he does kind of shove it down your throat a little bit. And then Luke's just kind of like, meh. And then he just goes back to Obi-Wan. And Obi-Wan's like, yeah, it happens to the best of us. Like, <laughs> like he gets off his little cruiser. He's okay, just first like, off, Luke does not have a meh reaction. Luke goes, there's nothing left for me here now. And that's his whole reaction. He tells Obi-Wan, there's nothing for me here. Guess I'll go with you now. And Obi-Wan's like, all right, let's go. Most Eisley is a the most wretched hive of yeah, scum and just go to the bar. <laughs> it's... I mean, if you found your aunt and uncle, wouldn't you probably go to the bar? I, I guess, but he's just kind of like, <laughs> and there's not even like a burial scene. He just sees them like on fire and then he's just like, well, screw it. And he just <laughs> leaves and he leaves them to See? rot on the ground. <laughs> what a terrible nephew. I think, I don't think that you are giving Mark Hamill justice. I know. I will say Mark Hamill is great in this movie. He does the boyish charm thing. Yeah. Perfectly. I'm just but saying, he like, does do the grieving nephew very well. Do, <laughs> George Lucas does not write grief very well. Yeah, 
I I did not take that scene in that way at all. I thought he was very emotionally moved by it, and that's why he bought into it. Because initially, it feels like he's going to buy into it because Princess Leia is hot, and I also want to get off the planet, so yeah, why yeah. not go chase after this girl? When when Owen and Baru die, it gives that emotional punch to it that gives him the reason to continue on the journey. I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying it would have been nice to see him actually grieve instead of just like immediately like leave and then be like, what's up, Obi-Wan? So you wanted like him dragging his dead father onto the ship and then <laughs> bear, you know, and then like the fire uh, funeral at no, the end of return. No, something like that. I'm just saying there's a couple times that happens in this movie. The other time, obviously this is jumping ahead, but when we finally see the power of the death star mm-hmm. that Darth Vader has had constructed and they blow up Alderaan, Alderaan princess Leia's home, her home. Pla- it's not just like a planet. It's not like if they blew up Idaho it would be like if they blew up Ohio, the state that you and I know and love. And she watches it, and it's like in a second, it's gone. Yeah. Alderaan's gone, and she's just like, no. <laughs> Don't you dare do that. Everyone you ever knew and loved is dead, and she doesn't even cry. She's just, She doesn't grieve in any way. They just cut away from it and go to the next scene. We just watched billions get massacred. <laughs> <laughs> they, they they don't pause for a second. I mean, if anything, the worst, the best reaction to that is when Ben said when they get back to Ben and he's like, and they're in the yeah the field and he goes, I just feel like a million souls cried out yeah. all at once. Yeah, that was emotional. That was wrenching. Great. Yeah, I felt a disturbance in yeah. the force. Yeah, but you know who wasn't disturbed? <laughs> Princess Leia. <laughs> Well, she's force sensitive. She she doesn't have a full connection yet. Right. You'll learn that later in the books if you start reading afterwards. <laughs> Shut up, Brad. <laughs> All right. So I'm already upset about this movie, and I think that it's time for us to drink some whiskey. So what do you say we bust open this old granddad and give it a try? No, screw you. I hate you. You're the worst. What did I do? Everything. You don't like Star Wars. I do like Star Wars. Do you, though? Let's find out. All right, so today we are looking at Old Granddad. Uh, it is a cheap bottle of whiskey. It really is. Uh, it's owned by the Jim Beam Company now. It was started back in the 1800s uh, by, guess who? Basil Hayden Sr. Oh, Basil Hayden sucks. This is Basil Hayden's namesake whiskey, Old Granddad. Really? Uh, once it was bought by Jim Beam, uh, they started making different varieties of it. There's a bottled and bond version. There's a barrel-proof version. We just got the 80-proof uh, but once they owned the Basil Hayden's name, they started to make Basil Hayden's bourbon, which if it is in any way affiliated with Basil Hayden's, I'm already worried about how this is going to taste because neither one of us liked Basil Hayden's. Yeah. So we've already poured this. What are you picking up on the nose? Brad? Nothing. Nothing at all. Yeah. I. Yeah. I'm already really struggling with this. Oh, yeah. That doesn't smell. It, it doesn't smell very matured. I will right. say that. Um, it says it's a straight bourbon whiskey, which means it has to be aged for two years. Uh, it just kind of smells like alcohol and some wood and that's about it. Yeah. I'm really struggling to pick up any major, uh, flavors from like a flavor wheel on here. It, it, I mean, you can tell that it's a bourbon. It has a little bit of sweetness, but not anything particular that I'm picking up. Mm -hmm. So what, like, what would you give it on the nose? Uh, pretty low on the nose, Brad. I, I I mean, maybe a four, Okay, a three or a four. I gave it, I gave it a three. It does not smell good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and once again, if you like the smell of whiskey, it's not going to kill you or anything, yeah. but it, it doesn't smell great. Let's take a sip. 
Hmm. Ugh. It's bitter. It's not sweet. Oh, that's bad, bro. I can't, I can't place it when, like, when I'm taking a sip of it and it's about to my mouth and I breathe in those fumes, there's something there. It's like a, like a piney, like, it, almost like a pine tar type. I'm going to use the word sour. It, it kind of leaves a sour mm-hmm. taste in my mouth. It says it's a high rye mash bill, meaning that the second, uh, you know, to be bourbon has to be 51% corn, but the second most used grain would be rye. I suppose that some of what we're smelling and some of that sort of more bitter, spicy taste would be the rye in it. But we've had ryes before on the podcast. That we enjoyed. Yeah. And this this does not fit the bill on that. Uh, on the taste, it is not sweet. I will say that it's pretty consistent in its spice and its more bitter notes, uh, but I don't enjoy that. At all. Um, I would probably max out on the taste on this one at a five. I'm going to give it a one. Oh, it's that bad to you? This is not good. Wow. Bourbon. All right, on the finish, Brad, what do you what do you get on the finish? Like I said, it kind of has a sour finish for me. Mm-hmm. Like uh, this tastes sour to me. Yeah, on just, the finish, it's just bitter. There's there's just no sweetness to it, and it finishes the way you would expect something like that to finish. It kind of it's just hanging in my chest. Yeah, uh, it's leaving an unpleasant taste in my mouth. I would give this a two on the finish. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a one. All I, right, the, the finish is just overall balance. Uh, I, once again, it, it's not good all around, so is it balanced? Yeah, 10 out of 10. <laughs> I, I'll go ahead and give it a 3 on balance. Yeah. It does what it does, but that's not a good thing, so I'm not going to give it a good score. I don't think anything stands out in a bad way between the nose, the taste, and the finish, so I think I'd give it like a 6 on the balance. Yeah. All right, so the last category for us then would be... Value. Yeah. So the thing for me is... I could see this being a decent mixer. And for, I believe this bottle for a fifth was like $12.99. Okay. So I would actually say for what you are paying, yeah. if you're looking for a mixer, with, with the qualifier, if you're looking for a mixer that's cheap, I would give it about a seven on value. I mean, yeah, it's a high rye bourbon, so you could use it if you wanted to in place of a rye. I mean, you, you could make Manhattans with this. You could make whatever you wanted to with this, and it would just taste like alcohol and some sort of uh, bitter concoction. Right. Um, for twelve ninety nine, though, we've had much, much better. I mean, that Heaven Hill is the best value I've ever had in my life, and that was $9. Right. So even at the price point, I don't think this is a good value. I would give it maybe a four on the value. Yeah. Which I think puts me out to a total of 21 out of 50. It does. Which I even, thinking about it now, this seem, that seems too high for this, because uh, we we did uh, Crown Royal last episode, and that seemed yeah way better than this, out of 25. Yeah, I mean, I came out to an 18 out of 50. Yeah. So, or sorry, a 15 out of 50. Wow. So would you say that's probably more of what you were thinking? Yeah, I'd split the difference probably. And I'm glad that we do. Um, yeah. You know, we're, we're talking about what, like an, an 18 out of 50. Right. So like a 36% out of 100. This yeah. is not good, you guys. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because every time we try a whiskey, I want to be positive about it. And it's the same with movies. I want sure. to enjoy movies. We don't partake in movies and whiskey to be angry and bitter about it no not at all so it it's not like we give this a a gleeful 15 or 18 out of 50 it's just the reality of what it is yeah 
So that's been Old Granddad. Yeah. So now we can move from one of the worst bourbons of all time to one of the greatest movies of all time. A movie that we both enjoy, believe it or not. Do you though, Bob? I do. Let's get back into talking about Star Wars. So that was Old Granddad, High Rye Bourbon. Old Wah Wah. High Rye, low quality. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we've been bickering about Star Wars back and forth, and we will continue to do so because our relationship is just bickering. Yeah. Uh, One of the the things, though, with Star Wars is that, like like I said at the very start, it's a magical film. You know what I mean? Just the way it draws you into it. And one of the reasons it's so magical for a lot of people is, like, the first time they saw it was at a specific time of their life or it hit them in a certain way. And so I like I want to talk a little bit about my first time seeing the movie Star Wars. But before like, do you remember the first time you saw Star Wars? I, I can't say that I do. I watched it when I was a kid. You know, I was maybe nine or ten. We got it from the video store. You know, it was I even then I remember it being like a good movie, but it didn't have the life changing effect that it had on some people. Yeah. So what was your experience, Brad? So it's nineteen ninety five. I am four, maybe five years old at this point, and we're at a party with some friends. You know, it was like a church party of some sort. We're at our friend's house, and being that it's the 90s, the guy who owned the house had just gotten a projector in his basement. And do you remember when those, like, became a big thing? Oh, yeah. I didn't even realize it was that early on. That was when everyone was still getting big screen TVs that were, like... You know, right. They weighed a ton. And so this guy had just gotten a projector in his basement and it and it took up the entire wall. Like he had painted the entire wall white and pretty much the entire wall was this projector. And so he's obviously trying to show it off to his friends and we all go into the basement. And sure enough, what do we watch other than Star Wars? And I still have this vivid memory of just being entranced by the music and the space battle and I, I remember the, the moment beyond anything else where I was hooked was when the stormtroopers cleared the hallway. They they had the battle with the rebels on the ship at the very start. And Darth Vader walks onto the screen. Hmm. And I just about lost it. And I have been hooked to Star Wars ever since. There's something so intimidating and scary and powerful about the character of Darth Vader that he... He just drove that movie forward, and I have never looked back. I have been addicted to the Star Wars universe ever since. So I'll say a couple things, and I don't want to take away from your experience because I wish I had that experience with Star Wars. But going back and watching it again, too, we've already talked about this a little bit. I just I don't know how good of a director George Lucas is. I really liked American Graffiti His you know, the movie he made before this. I think it's great. Um, but even watching Darth Vader's entrance into the film, you can tell that it's it's going to be an important character in the movie. You know, I don't think anyone at the point that they're making it knew this was going to be an iconic character in film history. But even the way that they frame him is not done. Like w- when you get into Empire and you see Irving Kirshner directing a, a film, he portrays Darth Vader in such a more powerful, menacing way. And George Lucas the way he films Vader, there's so many other people in the shot that Vader just kind of seems like this weird out of place guy. Sometimes it's just like looking around, not knowing what's going on. And for me, it's all about the way that he films it. It's about the camera work and it loses Darth Vader lost some of his menace to me in the early scenes of this movie. 
And I think he gets it back in those later scenes where he's like force choking people. Mm-hmm. Um, but for his big entrance, I I feel like there was something left to be desired there. Man, I I feel like I think that Lucas's use of color especially helps depict the dominance and induces fear of Vader when he enters the scene that everything is a stark white. And he is literally sucking away the light with the darkness of his outfit, his costume, his character, his presence. Yeah. Just sucks away all the goodness around him. And he's just intimidating. I loved his entrance into the into the Star Wars. I like Darth Vader as a character. Yeah. I just didn't think that first scene was that intimidating. And I think that the design of the Death Star really helps because, you know, this movie didn't have the world's biggest budget, obviously. But the way that they portray the inside of the Death Star as this really sleek, modern, uh, sparse, minimal type atmosphere, it really works in favor of the film. And the fact that the walls in the Death Star are so dark, Mm -hmm. it really lends everything that happens inside that ship a sense of menace and dread. And you really get the sense that you're finally like on Vader's turf, like you're in his domain now. And I think that setting helps the character more than some of the other settings he was in. Hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm okay with that. So let's talk a little bit about uh, our boy Han Solo. Ooh. Han shows up. Again, I, I don't know that Lucas always nails the entrances of these characters. Because hmm. if you think about the very first time Han Solo wanders into the movie, you don't actually watch him approach. They just cut to him sitting down in a booth and he's like, hey, I'm Han Solo. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, who's this guy? <laughs> like, like literally, he's like, I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. And I love how he says Falcon, too. Yeah. But you don't really know anything about this guy. And he's just here. And I wish that they had given him a cool Han being Han scene. Like when he shoots Greedo. And granted, that's not the opening thing you see with him. Right. But- it is a pretty introductory. Yeah, that's fair. And, you know, part of the problem that I really had with it, and I tried to avoid it at all costs, um, I could not find the original 77 version of this movie. I had oh. to watch the stupid special edition from 97 with the crappy CGI Jabba the Hutt inserted from a yeah. deleted scene that's not even in the 77 version. And so I'm trying to go on my memory of how does Han enter the movie Hmm. forgetting that he does the Greedo thing before he meets Luke and, and Obi-Wan. Yeah. Well, actually, no, he doesn't meet them before. He, oh, good. So I'm right. Yeah, no, no, you're right. He meets Luke and and Obi-Wan, and then when he gets up to leave with them, That's when Greedo comes Greedo in. forces him yes. to sit down. Yes. Yeah. And again, Han Solo is super cool. Yeah. Like, I, obvi- I mean, we will never make a more obvious statement on this podcast than Han Solo is cool. Yeah, I Han Solo is one of the best characters that's been created in the film universe. Yeah. And, and and I think that's another reason why Star Wars is so impactful. When you think about one of the coolest rogue types, you know, the kind of like cool, handsome, charming rogue, Han Solo is the mold. Yeah. And Darth Vader, I wouldn't say is the mold for a villain, but he is probably up there in a top two or three most iconic film villains of all Absolutely. time. Absolutely. And so when you look at a movie that has two of the definitions of a character type i i mean it, it it just nailed it i do think that i love the fact that han stays a supporting character in this film you know as the movies go on and, and again we're not commenting on how valid the other things are but han becomes more and more of a big character because he's so successful but in this movie han is there to serve han's role yeah. and han is there to be you know stubborn 
and to not get along with Luke and then to eventually come away uh, along, come around to Luke's way of thinking. Yeah. And he stays that way through the movie. He doesn't become the star of the film. It's always Luke's story. Mm -hmm. And I love that they keep the priorities right with how they introduce these characters into things. Oh, so George Lucas did something good. Absolutely. Oh, you're actually giving him props for something. This movie is a success (laughs) and we all know it. Yeah. What's your take on Chewbacca? I think he's a lovable sidekick. Sure. That he doesn't advance the plot in any specific way, but I I think he's, honestly, he's the R2-D2 for Han Solo. Yeah. Like R2-D2 is for C-3PO. Well, and and watching it again this time, you know, we all know Chewbacca and we all love Chewbacca, but if you want to talk about a character that gets no development, like he's literally just there. Yeah. It's like, hey, I'm Han Solo. This is uh, Chewbacca. He's going to be tagging along. He's my co-pilot. He doesn't do anything the whole movie. I mean, you know, he shoots some guys and stuff, but like you never find out anything about him. But I think maybe you're looking for too much. And and this and this might be my my frustration with most of your complaints with the movie is I feel like you're looking for too much out of the movie. Like you're trying to ask for things that don't need to be there. Oh, I'm not saying it needs to be there. I'm just saying like. When you talk to a Star Wars fanatic, yeah, they are blind to any possible flaws in this film. Yeah. And I'm not trying to nitpick either. I'm just saying I can't love Chewbacca as much as I love Luke because yeah. I don't know anything about Chewbacca. But is that a flaw? Because that, that's essentially what you're saying is it's a flaw that you don't know Chewbacca. And a, and a Star Wars fan who wouldn't see that as a flaw is saying, well, no, it's not a flaw. Well, that's true. I don't I don't find that it's a flaw with the writing or the flaw with the movie. I find a flaw and this is getting out. This is arguing outside the bounds of the movie. a little Right. Bit. I find flaws with the Star Wars fandom in general. Yeah. And it's because they've taken characters that were never supposed to be anything more than minor characters. They develop them into characters that they treat like are, are the greatest thing ever written. You know, Boba Fett was never supposed to be Boba Fett. Like, he's just a guy that's chasing them down in Empire, and then he dies like a punk in Revenge <laughs> or uh, Return of the Jedi, and that's it. But now, people love Boba Fett so much that there's a whole mythology developed, they're making a TV show about him. Like, Chewbacca should just be Chewbacca, and we should leave it alone. And it's not, you're right, it's not fair for me to criticize George Lucas because he never wrote Chewbacca to be to have this huge mythology developed around him. But what we've done with this movie, because we're so obsessed with Star Wars, is people are at, it's like people ask us to love characters that fundamentally we're not there to be beloved. We're supposed to love Luke. We're supposed to love Leia and Han Solo. We're supposed to hate Darth Vader. And that's it. And I think that's where I think that's the reason why you as just a film person struggle with Star Wars is because. When you talk about Star Wars, you're not just talking about the movies. Right. You're talking about the entire universe that has been created beyond Star Wars. And the thing is, when you look at a universe like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, people will talk about that. And sure, they can talk about the comics. But let's be really honest. How many people who are huge fanboys of the Marvel Cinematic Universe have actually delved deeply into the, all the comic books for the Incredible Hulk and Spider-Man, Iron Man, yeah. and Captain America. They really haven't. Well, and that's the thing, like, we, you know, off air, we've talked about both of our opinions of Endgame, and I don't even want to get into Endgame, especially not spoilers or anything, but I keep reading comments from people on Endgame that are like, you don't understand, 
this is my whole life has led up to this moment and I've watched 22 movies and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But does that make it a good movie? Just because you liked these characters your whole life, you have to evaluate the movie on what the movie does. Yeah. And so the thing that I like about Star Wars more than the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is working from source material. Yeah. Whereas Star Wars is not. Right. And I think that that is why Star Wars is so magical is because it created a minimalistic universe from the film that fans were desperate to fill in the holes for. Right. And I think that's why Star Wars has had such an enduring quality. And I think it's why Disney is screwing up Star Wars is because they're trying to turn it into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm. Whereas there's already a universe that's been established for Star Wars that they would have been better to draw upon than to try and create their own thing, which is essentially what the cinematic Marvel Cinematic Universe did. They had all that source material and they used that to morph into their own thing. And now and now with the Star Wars, what Disney is doing just isn't healthy. And so I think that for you looking at the movie and saying... Just let the movie be what it is. Yeah. Let Chewie be what it is. I think that that is, A, a healthy way to look at the movie, but I think it also takes away from the passion that people have so deeply for the movies that they created on their own. Well, here, that, and that's where my problem comes in, is that we have made this movie, forced it to be more than it is. <laughs> forced? Hey, we've forced it to be more than it is because- what we've both been arguing essentially is it's a minimalistic universe that George Lucas set up just enough for us to love it. Yeah. And then the fans loved it so much that they developed their own, you know, fan service-y, uh, fan fiction it universe It literally called it. the expanded universe. The problem I have is that now we look back at Star Wars with these 40 plus years of development of mythology and we act as if that original movie was that fleshed out. And it wasn't. Yeah. And it wasn't meant to be. But we also, just like we can't undersell what it is, we can't oversell what the fanatics want it to be. Yeah. I think also, though, that I look back as a fanboy who grew up reading all the Star Wars novels, the X-Wing Squadron, the uh, Jedi Academy trilogy, just all these things. I could I could literally do a podcast for seven hours straight talking about Star Wars stuff I know. Yeah. I think that that enhances my viewing of Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Because for me, I have all of that background Right, knowledge. but if you need that to enhance it, then is it a great movie? I don't need it to enhance it. I've loved that movie since the first time I saw it. We're going to get back into bickering if we don't give this movie a score. So I think <laughs> what we should do is just give it our scores, let our arguments rest for what they are. And call it a day yeah. because old granddad was bad it and was I want to get away from it. Yeah. All right. So, Brad, what would you give this movie? How about you score it first? I would give Star Wars a seven out of ten. I think that Empire is as perfect as this franchise will ever get. Brad and I have argued about The Last Jedi because I enjoyed The Last Jedi and he didn't. Um, Empire, I'd give like a nine, nine point five, ten out of ten. I think that the first Star Wars. I love that you just throw in there. That reference about The Last Jedi. And move on, right? Just to open another can of worms. But I think that that Star Wars is a seven. I am going to give Star Wars a nine and a half out of ten. Okay. Empire is a ten out of ten. Star Wars is a nine and a half out of ten. So that's where we're at. 
It's such a good movie. It's a good movie. Look, and, yeah. and like I said, once they get off of, what's Luke's home planet? Tatooine. That's what I thought. Once they get off of Tatooine, like, the movie takes off from I mean, there. technically speaking, he was born on the asteroid of Polis Massa. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, all right. So. <laughs> the movie takes off from there, and I think it just, it takes a while to get going. I think that Lucas uh, learned how to develop these characters more as he went, but that there's there's still some holes in this movie. Um and I'm okay giving it a seven. That doesn't mean it's a bad movie. And and I will say, full disclosure, I think that's a fair score. Yeah. I know that there's problems with this movie as a movie. I know that there are issues. But for me, the beauty and the magic of Star Wars overwhelms all those issues. And I would give it a nine and a half out of ten. But we want to know what you think. Am I crazy? Am I too much of a snob? Let us know on Twitter or on Instagram at Film Whiskey with an E. With an E. With an E. Or on Facebook, Film and Whiskey Podcast. Or you can call. Give us a call. Yeah, you can call our call in line. Leave us a voicemail. Berate me, please. Please do. I, I desperately need somebody else to just rip into Bob about his take. Yes, thank you. What's the number, Brad? 216-800-5923. Once again, that's 216-800-5923. Please give us a call. We love, love, love hearing from you guys. And again, we are a newer podcast. So if this is something that you're enjoying, go over to iTunes. Give us a five-star review. Make us more visible. Share it with your family. Share it with your friends. We have so enjoyed hanging out and talking about Star Wars. For the Film & Whiskey Podcast, I am Brad G. I'm Bob Book. We'll see you next time.